Back with InfoGoals, Jake Oscar Thorpe to help inform your predictions ahead of a tournament that actually goes a little bit under the radar here in the UK, if that's where you're listening from. And joining the podcast is our resident South American soccer expert, Simon Edwards, because we're talking about the Copper America. You can find Simon's comprehensive guide to how to bet on Colombian soccer, plus a full rundown of Group B of this tournament, including new hosts. Brazil. Well, welcome along, gents. Uh, great to have you. But Simon, just a quick one before we get going. What time is it there? So it's uh, seven in the morning over here in Medellin, Colombia. Oh, there we go. With proper pronunciation as well, Jake. I think we might be up against it a bit, mate. Do you? <laughs> yeah, we've got, to, we've got to work it out. We're going to get judged, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah, well, as we record it, it's actually one o'clock in the afternoon. And I, there's a little caveat to that. The only reason that the time is relevant is because we're probably about 12 hours or so, give or take, away from knowing whether Brazil are actually going to take part in the tournament because their head coach, Chite, has basically said, I'm going to follow whatever the players decide. And they're not deciding until after they played Paraguay in a World Cup qualifier, sort of just gone midnight UK time. So as we record this, we're assuming that everything is happy and rosy and Brazil are going to be taking part and, of course, hosting the tournament as well. So we will come on to the actual tournament. We'll stray away from all the political stuff. And uh, it's just nice to have a bit of colour about what a kind of crazy schedule it is, because I think a lot of people who will be listening to this will just think, oh, it's been organised and, you know, there we go and the games are happening and whatever. But it's actually been a real struggle to get this tournament on. So the reason that you're listening to this is to try and get the edge in the betting market. And you can find Pinnacle's outright odds at pinnacle.com. There is the Copper America odds section there. You've got all the futures and all the different games and heads-to-heads. And as ever, if you have listened to Pinnacle podcasts before, the aim of the Insights podcasts is to do, well, and get just that, Insights. So you can do that by going to infogoal.net and there is a Copper America model, which is brilliant. And that's what Jake is going to be talking about here on the pod. So, um, a total of 12 teams were initially meant to compete in the Copper America 2021, which were then later reduced to 10 after both Australia and Qatar withdrew to scheduling issues. Uh, 10 teams then are going to compete in two groups of five. The top four from both progressed to the quarterfinals. Everybody with me so far? Jake, got it. Simon, of course he knows exactly what's going on. Excellent. That's good. Um, Overall, so only two teams are going to be eliminated from the group stage, which does make for interesting betting. Um, And from that point, the tournament is then a knockout bracket. And if the score is tied after 90 minutes, the match is decided by a penalty shootout in the quarterfinals and extra time followed by penalties in the semifinals and final. So, gents, let's get into it. Uh, That's how the tournament works for folk who don't necessarily follow the Copper America. Um, I'm just trying to have a look at where the value in the group stages lie. Uh, Group A is consisted of Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Paraguay, Uruguay. And Group B is consisting of hosts Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, 
and Venezuela. So, Simon, if you don't mind, I want you to kind of just talk us through who the runners and riders are, who the strong teams, who the ones who look like being eliminated from the group stage, and then we'll uh, get Jake's view from an info goal perspective. But yes, Simon, hit us up, enlighten us into the world of the Copper America. Okay, I'll try my best. Well, I think um, in Group A, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Venezuela. Well, Venezuela traditionally have been the weakest side in South American football. Um, Obviously, Bolivia will come to it as well in a second, but Bolivia are strong at home and terrible away. Venezuela were just terrible for for a long time. (laughs) But a lot has changed in the last few years. Um, Now, they had a great U20 side, which got all the way to the the World Cup final, where they they lost to England um, a couple of years ago. And that's brought through a lot of quality. They've got the likes of uh, Jefferson Sotelo. They've got Solomon Rondon. They've got some good players. They've got some good young players coming through. Um, So Venezuela are a side that never looked like going to a World Cup. Um, but then in the last, uh, the last couple of years, things have started to change. They haven't made a very good start to World Cup qualifying. And a lot of that's come down to the availability of players, COVID and injuries. And they've got a game today and they're missing three or four, maybe five starting players. So a lot will come down to whether they have the likes of Sotelo, uh, Rondon, some of their most important players back. So Venezuela are a team that traditionally used to sit back and defend and hope to kind of grind out a result, but are now playing with a bit more confidence. But the question is, have they combined that with that traditional grit and determination? They try to play a little bit more, but they don't quite, they haven't quite pulled things together yet. So I think they're outsiders in Group A. Peru is a country that um, they haven't changed in the last decade, basically. It's the Mm. same guys. Paulo Guerrero is the number nine. Cueva, Carrillo, Avingulo, you know, they've got some good defence midfielders, but a lot of their most important players are, for example, uh, Cueva and uh, Carrillo play in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Paulo Guerrero is approaching 40, uh, but Guerrero is still a good player. I think if we'll talk about goal scorers, and, and Guerrero has been top goal scorer, I think on three occasions in the Copa America. This is his tournament. Uh, he's going to be the main goal threat for Peru always. So most teams in, you know, in, in world football now don't play with an out-and-out goal-scoring number nine who gets all the goals. Peru, mm. Peru do. So Peru's biggest strength is they're unchanged and probably their biggest weakness is they've unchanged. But they were finalists <laughs> last time around, though. So they're obviously, you know, they're obviously a decent bunch. You know, they're no mugs. Yeah, they, they were. And that was a bit of a surprise. Um, but but they they got some big results. They got a big 3-0 win, win against Chile in that tournament. They've started their bottom of the World Cup qualifying with just one point after five games. So they're not in great form and then they're not getting any better. I think is this is probably their last chance for this generation. Ecuador, I would say, are uh, an outside bet. They've, they've been very good in World Cup qualifying. Again, built around a U20 national side that is very, very good. Uh, Ecuador has a team called Independiente del Valle which has got to the Copa Libertadores final, has won the Copa Sudamericana, an amazing team, a tiny, no fans, small stadium, but they've done everything right in terms of recruitment and youth development. So Ecuador has a, a huge amount of natural ability, great physical qualities, and they're starting to turn that into a good team. So I would say Ecuador are up and comers, no doubt. Colombia, again, have a lot of depth. They've got no playmakers for this tournament. Uh, they've got no... 
no Quintero, no James. Cardona is the only kind of creative guy. And, and Colombia traditionally are always built around uh, a creative number 10. And they haven't got that this year. Okay. So they're going to play more more direct football. Luis Diaz on one wing, Cuadrado on the other. Uh, and then the Atalanta pairing of um, Duran Zapata and Luis Muriel. So it sounds good, but it's going to be a tactical change for Colombia. They're going to be much more... Uh, there's a Un- uneasy balance at the moment between um, slow pass and move football, which is what they've traditionally been built around back to Valderrama's time, you know, pass and pass. Um, but also the fact that they've got personnel who are more suited to a direct counter-attacking quick style of play. So they're trying to find the balance. They lost massively destroyed by Ecuador recently. They just beat Peru 3-0. So I think they're vulnerable I think they're a bit shell-shocked still. Um, so if they go behind, I think they'll struggle. Mm. But they've got the quality. Um, you know, it's it's the mental strength of Colombia is something that's been an issue. Um, they basically only win when they're better than the opposition. You know, they've got a strong side, but the likes of Uruguay and Paraguay, they can dig in and get a result. Right. Colombia don't feel that they can. Uh, and then Brazil in Group A is 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 the strongest side in the competition. Yeah. They have a they have an incredibly strong defense. Um, the back four are all elite level Champions League players, Castamiro in front, Alisson behind. It's actually the attack where they're not as as sure. You know, Lucas Paqueta has not had the best season. Richarlison's important. You know, Gabriel Jesus is probably the starting nine, but they haven't settled on anyone in that position. Uh, Neymar is obviously the elite player in there and Fred is also the other midfielder. So they're much more solid than they are exciting in attack but they're just very, very efficient. Mm-hmm. Chiche is a defensive coach and he's now got his team set up. They've had the same system for a couple of years now. So I think one of the most important things in this, this tournament will be um, the, the comparison between the exciting up-and-coming attacking potential of the likes of Ecuador, maybe Colombia, and the teams who are just unchanged and, and the benefits that brings, where you can look at Chile, Peru and Brazil. Um, and you know that so that for me is the interesting thing. Um, and obviously, Group B. You know, I don't want to do all the talking here. You guys step in if you no, want. No, no, it's fine. I'm I'm, I'm fascinated, fascinated because you know I think it's, it's worth pointing out, Simon. Our listeners they they won't actually be that familiar with this, so it's great to tap in. Um, and then you know I I think it's nice when we can kind of marry this up with what Jake's going to go. In with the from the info goal model. So do continue. I'm sure that if our list our podcast listeners sick of me. And they want to hear more from you. So, so do carry on. Okay, sure. No problem. Well, in group B, then we, you know, we'll start at the bottom because I think Bolivia will finish bottom. Um, now they're, they're really good at home. They win at home. Everyone's terrified of playing at Bolivia at home because, you know, the altitude is incredible. Argentina never beat Bolivia at home. But to put it in a bit of context, when Bolivia were playing World Cup qualifiers, they sent a reserve team to Brazil to get destroyed. To you know, sacrifice. They knew they had zero chance of going away to Brazil, and they kept all of their first team players in Bolivia to get used to the altitude to give Argentina a game. So I think the biggest criticism we can make of Bolivia is they've lost more than they've won at home in World Cup qualifiers, which is always a terrible, terrible sign because they pick up all of their points uh, at home. Um, they you know they just beat Venezuela at home, which is a you know a plus. But you know they're sh- they're struggling. Bolivia will be delighted with one or two points in this in this group. Uh, Martins is a really good striker. 
and he'll get a few goals. If they score, he'll be the, the goal scorer. He's actually a very good forward. But again, away from the altitude of Bolivia, they have no confidence. You know, they, at home, they get in teams' faces. They, they play attacking football. Away, they try not to lose too much. So don't expect much from Bolivia. Um, Argentina is an interesting one. Um, I think, you know, they, they brought in a complete amateur manager who's got no experience, but it's kind of worked for them. Mm. Um, they, they had big personalities before and it, and it created conflict and, you know, they were trying to do things. Whereas the managers come in and, you know, he got it on a temporary job and has kept his position. And I think they're looking better. Um, you know, always with Argentina, the issue is defense. You know, there were a lot of people, you know, touting Argentina as outsiders for the World Cup. And, and you know, here in South America, we were just laughing. They massively <laughs> overachieved at the World Cup. They, you know, I can't explain how much better they were at that World Cup than they were in group stage qualifying, you know, in the, in the qualifying stages. Just terrible in defence, but they're getting, they're getting there. Um, they've got a lot of good, solid mixed midfielders in front of the back four. Well, it can be a back four, can be a back three, back five. They're, they've a lot of taxable flexibility. Um, but the, the, the likes of Depaul, the they've strengthened in front of the defence. And Romero's come in and been a big upgrade on Otamendi at the back. They've also got uh, Emi Martinez in goal, who looks like an upgrade. So they, they're solving some of their problems. But I think if teams attack and press the Argentine defense, they're still, still weak. Mm. Lautaro Martinez has been huge for Argentina. Um, they've always had good strikers. But what's happened in the last five or six years is the strikers who come in don't take any responsibility for the game. They just give it to Messi and just hope for the best. You know, within a good Barcelona side, you know, there's, there's quality and you know, there's a good structure. Whereas for the national team, everyone just gives it to Messi and just hopes he's going to solve the problem. I mean, to be fair, Simon, you know, if I was playing with Messi, that's probably what I'd be doing. So, you know, who can, bl- who can blame them? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. The problem is Messi then finds himself dropping really deep to get the ball. He's away from a goal. He's got three or four men on him. Lautaro Martinez has got balls. Right? He's, yeah. he's, he's fearless and, and he makes things happen. So he's been very important. As, as important as the defensive restructuring, the movement of Lautaro Martinez has improved them. But Argentina wouldn't consider themselves favourites here. You know, they, they, it's, it's a huge footballing country. They have great confidence in themselves as a, as a nation, but, you know, they'll see themselves potentially behind Colombia, behind Uruguay, but in, in the mix, no doubt. So we'll see. Uh, Chile, again, Chile have lost a lot of that pace. Uh, five or six years ago, or 10 years ago, really, they kind of revolutionised South American football with high-pressing... You know, Bielsa ideas, you know, lots of players in attack. We haven't got any tall defenders, right? Let's attack, you know, on the front foot. Let's press from the front. Let's, you know, let's, let's play very differently. Now, the same players are there, but the, the style of football has had to change. They haven't got the energy in the side. But what they do have is a lot of experience. Um, Vidal in the midfield. Aranquiz is a really good player. Eric Pulgar. So they have a very solid side now. Uh, Alexis Sanchez and, you know, Eduardo Vargas has been top goal scorer twice in the Copa America and finished second top goal scorer as well in the most recent one. So while, you know, people might remember him from QPR and, and not really doing anything in, in England, for the Chilean national team, particularly in the Copa America, he's been a really good goal scorer. And the last two in this group, Paraguay. Um, again, traditionally a team that sits very, very deep and, you know, defends 
Um, they got to a, a few World Cups and did pretty well with that system. They've got a manager in Bariso who's trying to play on more on the front foot. Uh, and what I like about Paraguay is they've dropped the big six foot three striker, which who wasn't really helping. They're a counter-attack inside. You don't need a, a Cardoso. You don't need a Santander in the box. And what they've switched to is having Almiron a little bit further forward alongside um, Romero. Uh, there's two Romero brothers who are quite dynamic and that's going to work quite well for them. So I think Paraguay is a team that won't concede many goals. And I think that they're more likely to score the odd goal here and there to get them through. So Paraguay, for me, are, are quite interesting dark horses. And finally, Uruguay, who used to play like Paraguay and have suddenly got a load of world-class central midfielders and are now feeling a little bit uncomfortable. They used to basically have uh, Godin and uh, Jimenez at the back, Suarez and Cavani at the top, and then everything else was just trying to fill in the gaps, right? <laughs> but, but now they've got Valverde, they've got Betancourt, they've got a load of really, really high-quality midfielders, and they, they feel a little bit uncomfortable playing very direct, kind of ugly, limited football. You can't just kick it over the heads of all these you know, elite-level midfielders. So they're kind of in between. The manager's uh, been around for 15, 20 years in the job, you know, one of the lo- you know, longest reigning international managers. And he feels a little bit uncomfortable, I think, embracing this new style. But he also knows that, you know, this is, this is the way that Uruguayan football is evolving. So amazing talent, great uh, winners in Uruguay, great battlers. Um, but a slight unease matching the technical quality they have now with that traditional direct style that they, they've always played with. That is a, a very comprehensive uh, roundup of basically all the teams involved in the competition. And I'm just wondering, Jake, if you listening to that have got any queries or any theories or it may back up all your data, who knows? Uh, but let, let, us, let us hear it from, you know, obviously our punters are wanting to get the edge. Um, where do you see some of the value and maybe something that Simon said has uh, is probably directed you towards something that you might not have previously looked at whilst you were listening to all that? So, Jake, um, yeah, what, what, what are you thinking, mate? Yeah, fascinating stuff, really, to get the, that such deep knowledge and insight from across um, uh, the continent, really. The, the one that stood out to me is one team that we've not given much of a chance to is Paraguay. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting to hear Simon talking about them being potential dark horses because they'll be, you know, a decent price in the, in the outright markets. You're looking around 37 on Pinnacle. Um, yeah, we're, we're solely on, in the Brazil camp when it comes to this competition, and, and that's understandable given that, um, you know, they are the best team in the continent. They do have home field advantage throughout the tournament now. Um, and, you know, even before when the, t- the tournament was set to be held in Argentina and uh, Colombia, we still have Brazil's favourites um, at around 35% chance, and that's jumped up to 46% now, which is, you know, that means that, that the price that you're getting available, 2.16 on Pinnacle, is, is bang on what we'd expect. Um, so it doesn't offer a value price, but it's not a, it's not a bad price, and I, I definitely think that that to me is is a is a is a way in, um, and it, it is a short price. But you know that this is a team that's improved greatly uh, over the last couple of years, ever since that seven um, one debacle in the in the World Cup all that those years ago. Um, they've come on leaps and bounds. They were unfortunate to get knocked out of the World Cup by Belgium, and then obviously went on to win the Copa America on home soil last time. Um, so it's it's really difficult to to make a case for any other team other than Brazil to actually win the competition, but. 
Um, yeah, it's really interesting hearing um, all of Simon's opinions and, and thoughts and stuff around all the teams, really, because you know, like you said, over this side of the of the pond, we don't really get as deep insight into into what is going on um, with certain, especially the smaller nations, the likes of Venezuela, um, uh, Bolivia. Obviously, we you know we, we know about their altitude um, and 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 that kind of thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. Venezuela, Ecuador, obviously having a good World Cup qualifying. Peru were one team that we were on board with for the last Copper America, um, which paid out quite nicely with the each way money. Um, but as you as you said, Simon, they're, they're it's very much the same old stuff. I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I do my research for this tournament, and, and Guerrero is still in the uh, in the squad and still pr- pretty much uh, nailed down to start at around 37, 38. Um, but yeah, w- one of the other teams that we do quite like is uh, is Uruguay. I know. Simon said there's a few uh, reservations around the, the clashes in styles potentially, but uh, you know you, you only have to look at the sort of spine of the team and it, it really is at that world-class level. I mean, Muslera is a very competent goalkeeper. Diego Godin banging the heart of the, of the defence. Uh, Jimenez, Casares either side, if you're playing a back three. Um, you know, Vicino, Bentancur. Um, and then obviously you have the, you know, the two stalwarts up top, Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani, who are match winners. And that's what you need in these kind of competitions. Um, clinical finishes that only need one chance to score a goal. And, and, and I think that's what makes Uruguay so dangerous in this competition, because if they can find that balance um, in those games where they are tight, I mean, we saw that the last Copper America, there's quite a few nil-nils and a few games that went to penalties in the knockouts. I mean, if, if Uruguay get in that situation and they do get one chance and it falls to Cavani or Suarez, then you have to think that they're, they're going to take it compared to some of the other uh, potential strikers out there. So Uruguay did look interesting around 8.8 to win the tournament. Um, we make them a little bit closer to seven based on our model. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting. And to be honest, looking forward to the competition, I know they've revamped the structure slightly. So it's um, just two groups as opposed to three. And only one team is eliminated after the group stage as well. So it is, it is basically everyone who enters pretty much qualifies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, it's going to be a fascinating tournament, but Brazil all the way for me. I, you know what? I, I'm just looking at the odds and considering that Chile and I'm kind of I'm, amalgamating both what both of you said and also looking at the models and stuff, that's all right. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Chile, right? 13 and a half to 14-ish on Pinnacle, subject to change at the time of recording. But look, they, they won it 2016, 2015. You said that they've changed the style to adapt to the fact that the players don't have that pop about them anymore. But is that long odds, Simon? Particularly, I'm just thinking like each way bets and stuff like that. That's that's not bad. And, and obviously, if that overall to win the tournament, that's going to reflect in some of the head-to-heads and stuff. So, Chile, I mean, look, I know, I know you were quite diplomatic about all teams. You told us about them quite kind of relative to themselves in many ways. But they look quite long odds to me. Yeah, I think like, Chile, um, I'd say what I'd say in terms of Brazil as well, you know, Brazil almost didn't win the last Copa America, despite being the best team. Now, I think they're going to they're gonna win World Cup qualifying easily because it's over a longer period of time. You know, it's, it's all points that, you know, they're going to win most of their games. But this is a mostly, as you say, a knockout tournament. You know, the first round, we can already put three teams probably through from each group. Um, and then it's a straight knockout tournament. And, and with the quarterfinals, it goes straight to penalties as well. So that is, you know, Brazil beat Paraguay on penalties in the last, in the last Copa America. So while I think Brazil are the strongest team and uh, a clear favourites for this competition, they have struggled breaking down uh, very defensive sides. So I think the best hope against Brazil is probably not your Argentinas or your Uruguays. 
it'll be a team that just bores them to death, basically. Because they, <laughs> aside from Neymar, and again, you know, you say aside from Neymar, that's quite a good place to start. But yes. Aside yeah. from Neymar, we're looking Richarlison, we're looking Gabriel Jesus, we're looking Fred, we're looking Paqueta. Those aren't players who are going to terrify uh, many defences. Now, Neymar is a, is a different thing, and, and, but we've seen some players have ridiculous performances against Brazil, you know, individuals. Carlos Sanchez, for example, for Colombia, has marked Neymar out of games at times. You know, there's, if you can keep Neymar quiet and you play a very deep defence, they're not going to cross the ball. They're going to try and play through you and they don't have that, national teams don't have that, you know, unity and that creativity that you see from club teams. So I think that's the best hope for not being a Brazil win. <laughs> Uh, in terms of Chile, what they have is jerarquia, which is a big word here in South America. And it means like toughness. It means like superiority. You know, they have that experience. They have that unity. They have the ability to get results. That isn't traditionally something Chilean sides have had, but this national team is through winning and through battling together has kind of built that. So I think Chile is not a bad shout. I think this is uh, an aging Chilean side. I don't think in two or three years we'll be talking about Chile as a force in South American football, but this could be a kind of last hurrah for this group. Um, what they, you know, they don't necessarily have an out and out goal scorer. As I say, Eduardo Vargas has put the ball in the net quite a lot, and Alexis Sanchez is there just behind as well, which isn't which isn't bad. But they don't have a like a big number nine, for example. There's not someone you're going to play off. Um, they're not going to get that much from corners, although Chilean players have grown about a foot in the last year, which is interesting. They've suddenly got a load of tall defenders, six foot three defenders, when previously um, they were all um, tiny, five foot, five foot seven defenders, which is why they played such a high line. So they have changed a bit. But yeah, I think I think Chile's not a bad shout. Um, you know, Paraguay, again, aren't going to score many goals, but they might get nil-nils all the way to the final. And that has actually worked in the Copa America before. So, you know, we'll see. I think organised defensive teams are more likely to do well in the Copa America than they would in the World Cup qualifying, where, you know, you're going to have to score quite a few goals over a couple of years to, to do well. So I, I think the ugly teams might might win this one. Simon, that's, uh, I mean, great insight, this, isn't it, Jake? We don't get this kind of insight on anything else. Where's your insight like this on the Premier League, by the way? Come on. <laughs> you're setting the bar, Simon, that's what you're doing. Yeah, I'm only joking. Jake is absolutely brilliant. Can't wait for the Premier League season to start um, again. Um, just um, a final quick one, gents, actually, if you don't mind. Uh, people are always bothered about the golden boot, aren't they? It's always something that kind of, like, tickles everybody's fancy, gets people talking. The Copper America is just—it's just a joke in terms of like the quality of of the names I'm going to throw at you here. Usual contenders: Messi, Suarez, Neymar, Alexis Sanchez, Aguero, and then you've got people like Joseph Martinez, Edison Cavani, um, Mar- Lautaro Martinez as well. I mean, I'm just thinking of other names. Loads, absolutely loads. Um, we'll start off with you, Jake. Uh, what have you got the info goal model kind of pointing towards? I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess that Lionel Messi's favourite, but then again, I could be completely wrong. And Simon could dispel us of that notion because he might say, actually, once Argentina have won a couple of games early on and they, they know they're going to qualify, they just rest them. I don't know how it works. So it'd be good to get your insight, Jake. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, given that this, you know, the new structure, if you like, for this this time around, where only one team does get eliminated. Um, 
Yeah, you're looking back at recent Copper Americas and on average, you're needing around five goals to win the Golden Boot. Last year, or last time out was um, was a strange one. It's a very low score in Copper America. Only three, only three goals got you the, a tie for the Golden Boot. Uh, whereas before, I was six, four, five. So you usually need to score just under one goal a game. Um, and yeah, I, I, as I said, we're, we're quite, quite quite bullish on Brazil actually winning the whole tournament, which means that they're probably going to score a fair few goals. Um, Neymar's a bit short for me in the betting, around four point seven. I know he's you know he's likely to be on penalty duty, which could be uh, could help his cause. But I'm looking at other Brazilian players and um, Gabriel Jesus. We've mentioned is he going to start or will he play? Um, Gabriel Barbosa, Roberto Firmino is in there as well. I think the only other Brazilian that is potentially nailed on to start most games. Um, is Richarlison, who mm. obviously plays the Premier League for Everton. He's scored three goals in World Cup qualifying. He scored the other day as well. Um, so, he, you know, he's in decent form. And I think that, that, that Brazil quite like having him there. He's, he's not a total, complete contrast to Neymar, but he is much more power um, around his game. The Neymar is much more tricky. Um, so you get that nice sort of balance on the wings. Uh, and he's, he's very good at getting in uh, at the back post and scoring goals, as we've seen for Everton. So his price of around 16 looks a little bit big to me. Um, so that's where I'd be putting my each way money, really. Uh, if, if Edinson Cavani was a tiny bit bigger, I'd be interested in, in him as well. And the only reason for that is the, um, you know, in what has been such a congested season, he's played a lot fewer minutes than most of the players that are on this list uh, in terms of, you know, he barely didn't play for the first half of the season for Man United while he was getting his fitness. And when he did, he was playing bit parts. So he, in theory, should be fresher than most of his um, uh, most of the players on this list, and he's missed the last couple of games as well. I think through suspension, and I think he's also had a, had a baby. So he, he, in theory, should be very fresh for this. And if Uruguay are to go well, then Cavani and or Suarez will will score the goals. And Cavani's a touch bigger, so I would be leaning towards him. Jake, awesome, nice one using the Infogo model. And Simon, are you going to disabuse us of any of those kind of thoughts? Come on, here is. How does it work? Do, do, is there a bit of squad rotation going on? Are we going to see Messi score 15 goals in the Copper America or what? Well, potentially. Um, now, I think there's going to be an extra group game this year, which is going to change things slightly. Um, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, I think a lot of um, previous Copper Americas, you can basically win the, the golden boot in the group stage. Now, obviously, you'll add a goal here and there in the knockout rounds. But I think getting a few goals against perhaps some of the weaker teams, as I say, I think Bolivia uh, are going to concede quite a lot. Um, so whoever can <clears throat> get a hat-trick against Bolivia is going to be in a really strong position. As we said, you know, three, four goals can, can potentially win you the golden boot. So I think there'll, there'll be a few more goals this year than previous years um, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the award. Um, so, yeah, so I think if Messi gets a hat-trick against Bolivia, then, you know, he's, he's in a great position. Um, I think, as I say, Eduardo Vargas might be a decent outside bet just because he's likely to play every game for Chile. If we see Chile doing quite well, um, then he could potentially get a few goals and he's, he's always scored at previous Copa Americas. This is his tournament. Uh, as I say, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of Peru right now. But Paulo Guerrero is going to score all of their goals. Um, so if, if they do get a few goals, or maybe Venezuela not looking in great shape, missing a few players, there could be a few goals to be had against Venezuela. You know, it's an outside bet. You know, we'll see. In terms of Colombia, I think Luis Moriel might be a decent shout. Uh, it looks likely that it, Moriel will play close to Duván Zapata. And obviously that's been a really good goal-scoring partnership in Italy. Uh, Moriel's got 
over a, you know a goal every two games. He's been scoring quite a lot more than that as well in recent mm. years. So he's in in good form, and I think Duvan will will be uh, the most advanced striker, but I think he'll play as a pivot. So I think he'll be bringing in the likes of Cuadrado, uh, also Luis Diaz. You know, I don't think he's going to finish top scorer, but I think he's a decent shout for a goal or two. Um, been scoring a few at Porto. And for Colombia, Jenny Mina. And now he's not going to be the top goal scorer, <laughs> but he's got seven goals in 27 games for Colombia. Wow. Uh, and most of them have been important goals. Uh, remember the last World Cup, he scored I think three games in a row. So if he does that at the Copa America, then we could have a surprise top goal scorer. Um, so I think those are interesting ones to look at. Um, yeah, Suarez and Cavani for me as well. You know, the, the issue is that they've got two strikers who are going to score goals. Um, so they, they're not like Peru where everything's going to be Guerrero. It, it yeah. could be Suarez or Cavani or Godin and coming up from the back is also someone who pops up with a few goals. Um, I, Paraguay aren't going to score any goals, but they won't concede any either. So if you want low scoring games, Look at the likes of Paraguay. Um, they'll they'll grind out results. Um, so that's also one to kind of maybe think about as well. Um, but yeah, I think those for me are the kind of the names that come to mind. Amazing. Simon, thank you very much. And just to let you know, I mean, you, if you're looking at Vargas or Paulo Guerrero, Vargas is at uh, 21.27 at the moment on Pinnacle at time of recording. And Guerrero is at uh, 25.3. So very long odds indeed. So uh, if you fancy a bit of that and they get on a bit of a hot streak, bear in mind what Jake said, it's fairly low scoring. If they get a hat-trick or something early doors, oh, you quids in. Uh, gents, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to Jake Oscar Thorpe from InfoGoal um, and also to Simon Edwards for being up so early, having walked the dog in Colombia this morning and then joining us on the podcast. Simon, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, you can read... Some of our preview stuff online as ever, pinnacle.com. All the odds are on there as well. And you can follow pinnacle.betting for more. And the InfoGoal model for everything. If you want to compare and contrast the odds against it, it's infogoal.net. You can head to our betting resource page on the Pinnacle website. It details every group from the Copper America, how you can get the value in the market across the whole tournament. And also a little plug for Simon's Twitter as well. It's at Simon Edwards, S-A-F on Twitter. So there we go. There we have it. Uh, remember odds are subject to change from the time of recording remember to gamble responsibly and most importantly thanks so much for listening and have a great copper america